Brilliant. Morning. Uh, whilst all my PowerPoints, they're already. Wow, look at that. It's the glory of God. Our theme for this morning is the glory of God. I'd like to extend my welcome. We've had uh, leaders of several different churches up here this morning. Uh, Andy, together with Nikki, leading the church on the leaves that we planted all about 15 years ago now, nearly. Mark's leading churches in the north of the county. My privilege is to lead the church that meets here. So if you're a visitor and you haven't been with us this morning, uh, before this morning, especially warm welcome to you. Uh, If you came looking for Oxford Community Church, you found, well, on the one hand, a bit more than you might otherwise have done because there's other churches here. And and on the other hand, I think loads of people must be on holiday this week. I don't know if that's all those people who aren't committed to school terms realizing that the first week of first couple of weeks of September is the best time to get the best deals. I've got a few people nodding there wishing they'd taken advantage of those deals. Uh, but it's great to have you with us this morning. And um, I just wanted to extend my welcome to you. And also just a flag up for those who might be here in a couple of weeks' time that we're doing something really different in a couple of weeks' time. We want to make sure people didn't get confused by this. In a couple of weeks' time, I don't know what's happening in uh, other churches as regards it being harvest season, but we are doing a harvest Sunday here in a couple of weeks' time. And instead of having our normal service time of... Um, yeah, we have refreshments at quarter past ten like other churches do and kick off at quarter to eleven and worship God. We're going to take longer. We're going to have a meal together. Um, we're going to have a bake-off. We're going to have people coming in from the local community and just doing a kind of harvest festival. So if you want to know a little bit more about that, um, do uh, ask uh, anyone who looks like they're from the Oxford Church. Wave a hand if you're part of the church here. If you don't know about it, you better find out quick. All right. Uh, The glory of God. The glory of God. What on earth does that mean? Because we don't use the word glory a lot in everyday life. So let me explain. Uh, We might sometimes say, if we meet a particularly impressive person, that they have presence. Uh, And that's what the the word that the Bible uses, which we have translated as glory, that's what it means. It's that sense of someone's presence. You sometimes feel it when someone comes into a room and you're just kind of aware that something's changed in the atmosphere because of someone who's come in. The word in Hebrew, it's used in the Old Testament, literally means weight. And uh, there's a word that you might not use very often, but just maybe occasionally you might hear someone use the word gravitas to describe that sense of someone's presence as someone impressive comes in. They have gravitas, which of course literally also means weight. It's where we get our word gravity from. And the Bible is particularly focused on God's glory, which is the most amazing glory, because he is the most impressive person, the most beautiful, the most powerful, the most holy. And so the glory of God, the gravitas of God outweighs that of anyone else. In the story of the Bible, the glory of God starts to come into focus uh, in the period of the exodus from Egypt. In that period, we start to uh, get a number of stories about the glory of God. 
Moses asks to see God's glory. Uh, right after the Exodus, the Israelites, is there in Exodus 15, that is after the fact of the Exodus, and as the story is described in the book of Exodus, in chapter 15, uh, the Israelites sang a song which mentioned God's glory, and they associate with God's glory what might be perhaps a surprising emotion. I wonder if you know what that emotion is that goes with the glory of God. The emotion is that of fear. Exodus 15 and verse 11 says, Who among the gods, this is part of their song, is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory? Verse 14 explains what this kind of feels like. The nations will hear and tremble. The chiefs of Edom, a nearby nation, will be terrified. The people of Canaan will melt away. In fact, for the Israelites themselves, when they arrived at Mount Sinai, and this thing happened where the clouds of God's presence came down on the mountain, the glory of God, his weighty presence settled on Mount Sinai, says in Exodus 20 in verse 18, when the people saw this mountain, they saw the mountain in smoke, this cloud that had come on it, they trembled with fear. The glory of God, the weight of his presence, it's so awesome, it's really scary. So awesome, it's really scary. Let me tell you a secret. The fear of God makes us courageous with people. The fear of God makes us courageous with people. That's what I want to unpack this morning. Uh, This week, I've been in Northern Ireland. Yeah, I've never been to Northern Ireland before. Um, I've been to this place, and there's a reason, I've been to Coleraine, there's a reason why I've put up there that picture and the date of 1859. That is their town hall in Coleraine, which was new in 1859. And I want to read to you a story from that town, from that year. It starts in a primary school. A school teacher, this is a true story, by the way, it's not one of these kind of preachers made up things. It's a true story. A little bit of history. A school teacher saw a young boy clearly struggling, not with his maths, with an awareness of his distance from God. Now, there's a thing for a primary teacher to spot. It's what he saw. And the school teacher advised him to go home and pray. And he sent with him an older boy who had found peace with God the day before. After these two boys prayed, the young boy was blessed with peace. And he returned to the school rejoicing with a beaming face. And he reported to his teacher, oh, sir, I'm so happy I have the Lord Jesus in my heart. At that the attention of the whole class was arrested. 
One boy after another silently slipped out of the school building. And after a while, the school teacher looked out to see boys on their knees throughout the playground, each one praying. And as they prayed, the silence began to fill with heart-deep cries. As these cries reached the girls' school, they too fell upon their knees and wept in grief over their sins. Then the cries of the boys and girls at school reached the passers-by in the adjoining streets, and the Holy Spirit moved on them, and they fell on their knees in the streets pleading to the Lord for mercy. It seemed as if every available spot was filmed with sinners seeking God. Pastors, people of prayer were sought out, and they spent the rest of the day in counseling and praying with these people. Lunch was forgotten. Tea was forgotten. There's a sign of revival. (laughs) It wasn't until 11 o'clock at night that the school premises were freed from their unexpected guests. An open-air meeting was held to hear the people's stories. Masses of people from town and country began to pour into the town square, and it became clear that the multitude couldn't hear the voices of the speakers on the platform, so it was suggested that the group should separate into different groups, and that different ministers should preach to each group. One of the pastors testified afterwards, I never saw before in any audience the same searching, earnest, riveted look upon my face as they strained up to me from almost every eye in that hushed and awestruck multitude. And a very peculiar cry arose at one side of the square. And in less than 10 minutes, the whole crowd was overcome with an awareness of God and of their sin. Pastors spent the rest of that night counseling and praying with individuals and on after morning had dawned. A crowd gathered again that evening and even more sank upon the ground, crying out to the Lord Jesus to come in mercy to their souls. The new town hall of Coleraine had just been completed, and it was suggested that those in need of further counsel might gather inside. Now, today in Coleraine Town Hall, there is a Bible that was purchased to uh, memorialize this event. In it, It's written, at the first opening of the new town hall of Coleraine on the night of the 9th of June, 1859, nearly 100 persons, agonized in mind through conviction of sin and entirely prostrated in body, were carried into that building to obtain shelter during the night and to receive instructions and prayer from Christian people. It's happened. I've been in Coleraine this week. I want to tell you a little bit more about it in just a minute. But I want to tell you that the fear of God makes us courageous with people. And this week, I stood in that square, just at the opposite end of that building, and it gave me courage. 
It gave me courage. Many more years ago, there was a lad who had heard stories of God's power. That lad's name was David. And we come across David in the book of 1 Samuel. And in chapter 17, we have the amazing story of this lad facing down the giant Goliath. Because the fear of God makes us courageous with people. And David was someone who had this fear of God. It's there in 1, chapter, 1 Samuel 17, and it comes out most clearly in verse 26, as David has seen this Philistine insulting God's people, David has this kind of gut response that comes from having heard the many stories of the marvelous things that God has done. And he just knows how glorious God is. He knows how substantial and weighty the presence of God is. And he says this, verse 26, what will be done uh, for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? He's assuming that someone's going to deal with this. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He's got fire in his belly that comes from knowing who God is. Knowing who God is. He's like, this man cannot stand. It's not a question of if it's going to be dealt with, but just who? Who's going to do it? He looks around. Seems like there's no one else that has the same fear of God that he has. So he gets on and does it. I think my battery is a little bit low. That's not a spiritual statement. <laughs> Just telling the guys on the pier desk, I think that's what might be happening. David then has the fear of God, knows who God is, he's aware of God's glory, and therefore he has courage in the face of Goliath. But let's turn a few pages on, because something else happens. In chapter 21... You see, in the intervening few chapters, King Saul has taken David close to him, said, great, let's have you in my household. Then he's become jealous of him, and King Saul threatens David's life. And so David runs away. That's where the story picks up. Chapter 21 and verse 10. That day, David fled from Saul, and he went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands. David his tens of thousands. Now, David took these words to heart and was very much afraid took those words to heart, and he was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he feigned insanity in their presence. While he was in their house, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gates. That is, he, like, he urinated on them and such like. 
uh, and let saliva run down his beard. And Akish said to his servants, look at the man. He's insane. Why, why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring me this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? And then it says David left Gath and he went to a place called Adullam's cave. I want us to note, this is what the lad who slew Goliath grew up to experience. David was not just some kind of spiritual robot on some kind of fear of God kind of autopilot in which everything always went well and he always felt buoyed up with courage. This was a normal kind of a guy. And though we read in chapter 17 that he wasn't afraid of Goliath and indeed he wasn't afraid of his brothers either, which some of us would know as an even bigger thing. But he was afraid of kings. He was afraid of Saul. He was afraid of Achish. And uh, this fear of people overtook him. And his past successes were no help to him now. In fact, I don't know whether you noticed, but it was actually the reminder of his past successes that he took to heart and that made him afraid. It was the people saying, well, other people kill thousands, but you kill tens of thousands. And somehow the reminder of his past successes, that got into his heart and that's what made him afraid. He was afraid of his reputation of killing tens of thousands having an impact. It wasn't that he lost touch with his past successes, but even his past successes led him to be afraid. This warrior who'd walked with great courage to meet Goliath, was so overtaken with fear that it led him to act if he was mad. Actually, the, the Hebrew word here for madness is, when I looked it up, it said um, the word comes from an old, uh, an old word from another tribe, which they used to talk about the long whinnies of camels. And I, I, I googled kind of camels doing funny things. I discovered camels do all kinds of things. <laughs> you can do that. It's quite remarkable what camels do, actually. But it was this kind of like, it, this is a good picture of just the kind of oddness that overtook David as fear entered his own heart. He ended up crazy because the truth is that fearing people makes you crazy. Fearing people makes you do the oddest of things. Let's just think about that for ourselves, because I think it's possible that amongst us, we have a touch of the mad Davids. If you're called David, I'm not, it's okay. I'm not talking about you. Uh, it's all right. Thank, uh, but what afflicted King David, as he would become, I think touches us too. Maybe we've heard great stories of what God has done. Tick, got that in place. Maybe we even have some great stories of what God has done for us personally in the past. But somehow fear has entered our hearts and it makes us act in crazy ways. Here's a few examples. Here's crazy number one. 
the fear of disappointing people. Just watch how this goes. We can be so afraid of disappointing people that we never say no to anyone, which ensures that we are overcommitted and therefore will disappoint people. Do you see that? The fear causes us to do something crazy. There's loads like this. Fear of shame. We can be so afraid of being shamed in other people's sight that we keep our sins secret, never confess them, and so end up stuck in a cycle of sinful habits that only serves to bring us shame. It's crazy what the fear of people does. Uh, This is a very British sort of a one, fear of awkwardness. We can be so afraid just of awkwardness in conversation that we avoid people and conversations with them. We avoid meeting people who just might like to get to know us. And so we avoid friendship and thus ensure that we'll only ever have awkward conversations with people we barely know. Isn't that crazy? What the fear of people does. Here's another one. Fear of rejection. We can be so afraid of rejection that we keep our Christian faith secret, which only ensures that our true self is never accepted. Isn't that crazy? What we do. All of these consequences of the fear of people in our lives. So does your life revolve around what other people think of you? Are you always second-guessing your decisions based on what other people think? Are you easily embarrassed? Do you tell white lies to make yourself look better? There is a way out of this. David points the way because he didn't remain crazy afraid. He didn't remain crazy afraid. What he did was he wrote a psalm. So please turn in your Bible to Psalm 34, because this is one of those psalms that we are told was written at a moment in time. And that moment was when David was with Achish and pretended to be insane. If you read what's there at the top of the psalm, it says this psalm of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left. Now, you might think, hang on a minute, that's a different person, Abimelech, Achish. Well, Abimelech it was the name, the title given to Philistine kings. Like the Egyptians had Pharaoh, but you'd have a Pharaoh, Ramesses, or whatever. Uh, Abimelech was the name given to Canaanite or Philistine kings, uh, the title rather, and then this particular king, we're told in 1 Samuel, is Achish. This is the same thing. This is about when David went before a Philistine king and what happened. 
I'm going to read a few verses at a time. And I'm just going to read the first eight verses, actually. And what I want to show you is that in those eight verses, David provides for us three steps that we can take, three very practical steps that we can take out from our fear of people, out from our crazy fear, and into a newness of life. Verses 1 to 3 then. David writes, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Wow. It's like again and again and again, David says, let's just lift up the Lord. Let's lift his name higher. Oh, we'll come back to that. The God of glory. Lift him up. You see, for, we started out this morning with this phrase, the glory of God. You know what? If our focus is on the glory of God, that doesn't help us in quite the way that we need. Because David's focus wasn't on the glory of God, but his focus was on the God of glory. He got it the other way round. You're not looking for some experience as such, but rather he looked to God himself. And the first thing he says about him is, lift God up. This God of glory, lift him up in worship. You have these words, extol, praise, boast, rejoice, glorify, exalt. I wonder whether God has become too small, too diminished, too low down in our thinking. The truth is that God's awesome. So we don't lift him up because he's a tiny little God and needs our help. He is awesome, but somehow we, we let him go down in our estimation. They've said the first thing, first thing to do, just lift him up. Just get him back to the place he's supposed to be. Get him higher. Get him higher. That's why we spent time at the beginning of this morning worshipping God. We're doing that thing. We've already taken our first step. Verse 4 onwards, David writes, I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. See, those who look to him are radiant, and their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. See, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And he delivers them. Here's the second thing. This isn't complicated. The first thing is lifting God up in worship. The second thing is just looking to him in prayer. It just means praying about the things that face us. Calling out to him. You think, well, that's so simple. That's just so simple. But it's so easily forgotten. I once heard um, a guy called Artie Kendall speaking about prayer. Some of you will have heard of Artie Kendall. Many of you will. And he made a suggestion which I thought was good and, and solid. He said, 
it would be possible to measure our spiritual lives and how mature we have become by one thing, which is how long does it take from the moment a problem is presented to us before we pray? How long a period of time do we try everything that we can think of and then when it fails, come up with another plan and then when it fails, ask a few other people and then consult Google (laughs) and then when it fails, pray? Or or maybe we, we miss out the other people and just have a go and use Google. Maybe at some point in our lives, it becomes instinctive to us. That when we face any kind of challenge, what's the first thing we do? Well, I'm going to pray. It's, it's easy to say, oh, of course we pray, but do, do we pray? I wonder what kind of challenges you are facing. As I spoke about the fear of people, I wonder who it is in your life that makes you most fearful. For some, it might be your boss. Actually, for a number of people, it might well be you have a really unpleasant boss and you are afraid of the consequences of their view of you and of the impact that their decisions might have on your life. For others, it will be a family member that you are just afraid of. When they speak, it's like something jumps inside of you. For some, it's the the nameless terrorists that are sort of somehow out there, but the mention of that does something question I'm asking here is how, how quickly do we pray? It's so simple, yet so easily forgotten. And those are the first two things that David says. They're not complicated, but do we do them? Let's lift him up in our worship and let's look to him in our prayers. Now, the third thing uh, is here in verse eight, where it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And I've put here this little phrase, let us lean on him. Because I want you to think about what it means to taste and see. When you come across some kind of food, someone introduces you to it for the first time, it's new to you. Uh, There is a slight personal risk, isn't there, in choosing to eat it. You don't know whether you're going to like it or not, and you're taking it and you're actually putting it inside your body in the place where you have most sort of sensory sensitivity. It's, a, it's just quite a personal and quite a challenging little phrase. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It means taking some personal risk. It means trusting God. It means leaning on him. Not only looking to him as he's lifted up, but putting some weight on him, leaning on him. You know, I didn't go, I don't know if anyone's wondering why I went to Coleraine this week. Um, I didn't go to Coleraine this week because of events 157 years ago. I went because of what's happening now. I went because in the last two and a half years, they've seen an average of seven people born again every day. And uh, the numbers, don't try doing the sums because the numbers fluctuated a bit over time, but they have seen 6,000 people born again in the last two and a half years. 
And uh, I went, had the privilege and opportunity to go and spend time a couple of days in the church that's been at the center of that happening and to learn from them. And I felt it, it wasn't enough to hear about that and be inspired by it. I needed to taste and to see what God was doing. So I went out on the streets with their team. Um, and we, as we went out on the streets, we were helped by being given a set of questions that we were encouraged to ask. Some of you may be familiar with this already. I don't know. But we were pr- prompted to ask four questions of people that we met. The first question was really difficult, I have to say. Well, it wasn't at all, actually. The first question was, can I ask you a question? It was very straightforward. Uh, amazing the number of people that at that moment seemed to be deaf or to suddenly have an appointment over there somewhere. Or... So there's a little bit of something going on there, even in asking people, can I ask you a question? But actually, most people said, yeah, go ahead. And the second question was, if God could do a miracle for you today, what would it be? And uh, again, most people immediately said their most pressing and personal need to me as a stranger. And an appropriate response to that was immediately just to pray. Well, can I pray for that? Pray for your injured shoulder or for your bereaved aunt or just going to pray in Jesus' name. And in praying, something spiritual takes place. The Holy Spirit's at work. And of course, he answers our prayers for those who are needy right in front of us. Having prayed, third question. So what's the greatest miracle that you could imagine God ever doing for you? People say all kinds of things. One guy say, oh, I'd like to have loads of money. But kind of whatever they say, there's an opportunity then to say, well, would it be all right if I told you what I think the greatest miracle is that could happen in your life? And it would be to receive eternal life. That could happen because of what Jesus has done. And, and a final question, would you like to receive that eternal life? That's what we were encouraged to do. This is what has been going on day in, day out, day in, day out over the last few years and through which thousands of people have said, yeah, I would. I would like eternal life. It's like, you understand that means repenting of your sin? Yeah. You understand that it's about depending on what Jesus has done for you? Yeah. Would you like to receive eternal life? I would like eternal life. I'd like to say that that was my experience with an individual on Tuesday morning. Uh, I got to pray with some people. I got to share the gospel with some people. And uh, there was a lady, it was delightful, a lady in her 50s who was with us from the northeast of England who'd never done anything of this kind in her life. And, and she was bowled over when a young woman to whom she was speaking said, uh, yeah, I'd like that. And she led her to faith, having never done anything never even really shared the gospel with anyone, let alone had the delight of being a midwife to the process of someone finding new life in Christ. Do you know what happened was that as I prayed with people and as I shared the gospel, something of the fear of other people lifted from me. Um, I was actually, I need to go back. We were actually stood right here. This is... It helped the fact that we were stood right next to a bench 
where the guy who was showing us what happened said, well, this bench here is where the local boxer got healed and his testimony had an impact on the whole town. And that bench there, that's where um, there was this atheist who I got a word of knowledge about her having night terrors because she was attempted, someone attempted to murder her as a child and then she got born again. It helped. <laughs> the, 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 that's where I, it, I have to say it, it helped. It helped to know the history of what God had done in that place. Um, but it will help us all the more if we follow through what David gives us in Psalm 34. We, we lift God up and, we up and we look to him. But at some point, we need, to, we need to lean on him as well. There's a point at which the fear of people will be broken when we choose to step out and lean on God. Trusting that as we taste, we will see that the Lord is good, that he will do wonders. This is 9 to 11. David goes on to say, Fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. I think that there are three different kinds of responses. Uh, I think there are three different kinds of responses that God might, three different opportunities really for response this morning. The first is this. It may be that there's someone here, maybe some number of people here who say, you know what? I'm actually quite a lot like that little boy in Coleraine in 1859. I, I struggle. What I'm struggling with is the weight of my sin which is a burden to me. And uh, I would love to have peace with God. In a moment, Andy's going to come and lead a prayer that you can follow him in praying and it will deal with that burden of sin. That's the first opportunity for response. Second one is that just maybe God has somehow drifted out of your focus He's become diminished in your sight. And there's an opportunity to respond in worship and prayer. And although we've already done some of this this morning, to lift God up, to lift him up and lift him up and let him find the rightful place. That was steps one and two there in Psalm 34. And it will get you a long way in the right direction. I'm going to invite the band to come back up in a minute so that we can worship a bit more and give opportunity to respond in that way. But there is a third kind of response here as well. Connects with the word, the, the picture that Bev brought us that I believe is God speaking to us this morning through a revelation of a cast breaking off. And that will happen, I believe, as we step out. And I want to to invite you to consider what would it look like for you to lean on God this week in the face of fearing people. Maybe, you, if nothing else, you could resolve that this week you'll approach someone, whether it's someone you know or someone totally random, and say, can I ask you a question? You know, if God could do a miracle for you, well, what would it be? 
step out, break the cast open, because there's something amazing inside.